0: Welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Kayla Whaley, a writer living outside Atlanta with a focus on disability, sexuality, and the body. Her work has appeared at Catapult, The Toast, Michigan Quarterly Review, and The Establishment. She's getting her MFA at the University of Tampa. Kayla, welcome.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm so excited for you to be here, and it's just putting me back in mind of the last time that I saw you uh, oh, yeah. in a one of hotel the best days of my life outside of Atlanta. I'm so glad uh, it was not one of the best days of my life, in as much as later I ended up becoming very, very ill., Oh, um, but I did enjoy hanging out with you at that Marriott Starbucks,
2: yes, and also you taught me so, so, so much about King Henry's wives, all of them.
0: I mean,, I, those are the two things I'm good at, is getting unexpectedly ill uh, and talking about the most well-known wives in English history.
2: It was easily the best extemporaneous lecture I've ever experienced.
0: I, I will take that and I will run with it. And let's just use that energy um, to to bear on all of our questions today. I should have, like, tried to find questions that put me in mind of the wives of Henry VIII. Um <laughs> But I didn't. I didn't. I I do feel like I got to do a good cross-section of, like, professional problems, friendship problems, relationship problems, um, and and some that actually combine all of the above, which I'm kind of jazzed about. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Would you actually be so good as to read the first
2: letter? Sure. I would love to. All right. The first letter is just called, Too Close for Comfort. One of my very closest friends, more like family, has initiated a calculated incursion on my workplace— She applies for every job that comes up and talks about how I need to get her a job. Most recently, she applied for one that would be in my group, like in the office next door. She hasn't asked me if this is okay. I don't feel like I can tell her not to apply, but although I wish her the best, I hope she doesn't find a job here. I have no control over hiring, so there is nothing I can do. I feel terrible for feeling this way. This job has been a godsend after several very rough years, and I feel like all the good is being sucked away.
0: So I was actually a little surprised by this letter because I was sort of reading it waiting for the problem because um, mm-hmm. it was sort of like, a really good friend of mine wants to work at my company and that's a terrible reason because like, I love her but she's really bad at completing projects or right. something. But it's just sort of taken for granted that this is a terrible idea.
2: Yeah. I read it and I I feel like it's just a question of boundaries like it feels like the letter writer wants to keep their friends and their work fairly separate which i think is a pretty common impulse um but yeah it definitely there's no like reason beyond i don't want her here
0: to not want her here you know which is fine and i mean of I, I can certainly imagine any number of reasons why a person would yeah. not want a very close friend, almost like a family member, to work with them. I certainly... Exactly. I, I can furnish a couple of reasons why. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I feel like my job is just telling people to talk to each other. But And that's slightly simplistic and, and slightly reductive. But, like, do you think the letter writer's current strategy of not saying anything and hoping that nothing happens... Uh, is ultimately going to be the best one? Or do you think that there are other options available to them? Uh,
2: I mean, it is decidedly not the option I would recommend. But I mean, I, again, it feels, like, it feels like this is a communication issue because she hasn't told the friend that she doesn't want her there. And I don't, I mean, I realize that would be a really uncomfortable conversation to have with even a best friend to say, Hey, I love you. You're one of the closest people in my life don't come into this space with me, um, that you clearly want to be in if maybe it's just because you want to be near me and you think it'd be fun to work together, or maybe it's a really appealing job for this other person and it would be a great opportunity professionally for them. We don't really know what the friend's motivation is for wanting a job at this workplace so badly. Um, but yeah, I think that the phrase, a calculated incursion is really interesting Um, because that suggests to me that a level of like almost perceived aggression, if that makes any sense, um, on the letter writer's part about her friend's motivation. And yeah, I think that boundaries is the key word here, like just setting your own boundaries and having that on potentially uncomfortable conversation to save yourself some heartache in the future, because if your friend does get the job. That's going to be an even more difficult conversation to have. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And certainly the calculated incursion is like, there's clearly something going on with this friendship yeah. dynamic. Um, I, Either you have felt like this person has a history of stepping on your boundaries or you feel mm-hmm. like they just want to work together because she just wants to, like, spend 24 hours a day with you. I don't know what it is. Um, but there, there are, I think, a couple of options available to the letter writer. So there's the lowest impact one, um, which is, like, lowest conflict, lowest amount of truth-telling, sort of minimum involvement, um, which is to say to your friend, hey, I have absolutely no control over hiring. Right. Um, which at least would put a stop to, uh, you know, hey, you need to get me this job um, uh, where you can just say, like, hey, you know, I-, I know you're really excited about this, but, like, I just want you to have a realistic expectation of what my ability to help you is, which is basically nothing. Yeah, um, I have no input. Um, I-, I am not consulted on this. This is not my team. Um, no one will be soliciting my feedback. Um and so, if you know, again, if she does have a history of stepping all over your boundaries, or if for whatever reason you're just not feeling like being super honest with her today, yeah. that is an option, right? Um, another option is to say, Hey, I would love to talk to you about this recent intense enthusiasm for working at my company. That's a nice uh, alternative, and not in a way, calculated incursion. Yeah, I I would not use that phrase. Uh, you know, no. I would save that phrase for if the fight gets really bad. Yeah. Um, but to just kind of say like, hey, we haven't really talked about this because you've been so enthusiastic. Um, I, I'm actually not as thrilled as you are. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't love you. And it's not that I don't want you to have the kind of job you really want to have. I just... You know, and I don't know what the reasons are. Maybe it's just literally like the idea of working in such close proximity with someone I consider a family member feels really overwhelming to me. And that's a perfectly legitimate reason. Yeah. Um, but that's the other thing, too, is like, I, I genuinely don't know. Like, maybe this close family friend, like, this is her dream job. Uh, she, You do say that she applies for every job that comes up, but I just like, maybe this is her dream company. You know, maybe yeah. you work for like some wonderful company that she's been dying to work for for a really long time, in which case it's not so much a calculated incursion as it is like, you work for a good company.
2: hmm And I think that that is another definite important conversation, piece of the conversation that they need to have is what is yeah, the friend's I- motivation? Like, because I feel like that could affect the letter writer's approach and feelings on the matter. I mean, it might not change their feelings. They might still say, hey, I still don't feel comfortable with you, you know, trying this, this hard, this level to get into my workplace. But, It is something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah. And and I think the the other thing that will be helpful is to remember the things you can control and the things you can't control. So one Mm -hmm. thing you can't control is whether or not she applies to work at your company. Another thing you can't control is whether or not she gets a job there. Things that you can control are whether or not you share some of these feelings of trepidation with her and whether or not you set limits with her if if she ever does get the job. Because part of the fear right now, I, I think, is if she gets the job here... I will continue my strategy of never saying anything when she gets really enthusiastic about something that I don't like, and then I will lose the thing about my work life that I enjoy because it will be taken up by her.
2: Which is just a breeding ground for bitterness and like resentment, honestly.
0: Yeah. So so part of this is, like, you say she's been applying for a ton of jobs and she hasn't gotten anywhere with it. So I think some of what you can do is reset expectations, which is, like, it does not seem like the company is super interested in hiring her. You don't say she's gotten even one interview or any sort of, like, encouragement. So, so some of what you're assuming, uh, I think, is maybe speculation. Um, so you, you can hopefully let some of that go just, just because she keeps applying does not mean she's eventually going to get a job. It's not like rolling dice over and over again, where eventually you're going to roll a seven. Um, if she's not qualified, she's not qualified. Um, but but yeah, the other thing is that if she does get the job, like if absolute worst comes to absolute worst and she gets a job in the office next door, um, even though she is a close friend of yours, you could absolutely still set boundaries. And you have the kind of fabulous excuse of I'm at work. So yep. like, if she wants to stop by your office all the time or if she wants to constantly distract you, you can say things like, I need to get back to work now. I'm not available to talk right now. Thanks for this, but I have to go finish this project. Like, There's a lot of things that you can do. Um, if the worst happened.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I really, really feel like boundaries. Again, I'm repeating myself, but that just was glaring to me in this letter was like, I feel like they probably have not ever had that conversation of like, here is my limit and I need you not to cross it because clearly the letter writer is not comfortable having that conversation, which Makes sense. It's a hard one to have. But yeah, worst comes to worst, it's going to need to happen.
0: Right. And sometimes that's what people mean when they say that they have a close friend who is like family. Part of what that means is, so we don't talk about things that are disagreeable. (laughs) Um, Or we do and we talk about it once and then never again because it goes very, very badly. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, the conversation that you should be having with this friend is not necessarily don't apply, but it either needs to be resetting her expectations and saying, hey, I cannot help you get this job. So, you know, don't keep asking. Um, Or if you're willing to push a little bit to say like, hey, not only can I not help you get this job, I actually have some reservations about it. I I, I really want you to get the kind of job that means a lot to you. But I like keeping my professional, my personal life really separate. Um, And even if you did get the job, I would not want to be like spending a lot of best friend hangout time around the office. And that might surprise your friend. She might not know that. She might be a little hurt. And that's okay. Um, And you can, you know, reassure her. It does not mean I don't love you. Um, It's also not something she could never get over. Um, This could be valuable information for her. It could. And
2: I think that there's a way to frame that conversation, too, if you do end up having it, where you are making it about both of your well-beings. Like, you don't want to present yourself as, hey, I don't want you around me, full stop. Like, talk to her, see why is she so interested in working with you? Because if it is, I just really want to work with this company. Well, again, that's something to consider. If it's like, oh, I just really want to be around somebody I'm familiar with in a new work environment, that's a conversation you could have about um, like, I don't know, coping way- coping mechanisms for her or like in looking for a different job or, hey, what if we, you know, change something about how much time we spend together outside of work? Would that like be – exciting? Like, would you want to do that? Um, stuff like that. So I think if you frame it as I want what's best for both of us and for our relationship, that's going to go a long way to facilitating that conversation.
0: Yeah. And and I think, you know, remember that your problem right now is not my friend just got hired at my office. Your right. problem right now is my friend is constantly bringing this up to me and is asking me to get a job and I feel terrible. And you can do something about that right now. Like you actually can say to her the truth, which is I have no input over this. We need to drop this. Um, so this is something you can actually address. The rest is all future-based stuff. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, I can certainly relate to the idea of something bad might happen in the future. So the best response I can have to it is to constantly imagine it and react <laughs> as if it were happening right now in real time. That's uh, actually not real. a really useful strategy. Um, it actually does not get you anywhere. Yeah. And good luck. I, I hope you do not have to work with a family friend or slash best friend. <sighs> All right, so our next letter is about whether or not to call it quits on a relationship that's kind of already over. Which, you know, spoiler alert, well, my answer is probably (laughs) going to be. But the subject is when do I quit long term love? Dear Prudence, how do you know when you're kidding yourself? I've been with my partner for five and a half years. We lived together for two years, moving in together after only six months because I needed to escape my parents. And then three years ago, I moved away to go to university. I had originally given up on going to university, but with my partner's support, I made that move and became a mature student. I love them. I'm very in love with them. The problem is we both have severe health problems that prevent us from being able to easily and routinely communicate. These health problems probably aren't ever going to go away. I love them with all of my heart, but we still go more than a week without so much as a message and months without talking on the phone. This is something that we've had serious talks about repeatedly, and we've both committed to doing better, but each time we quickly lapse back into the same problems." I feel like my partner expects me to move back to my home city and is waiting it out, but I'm increasingly sure that I won't move back. We've sort of talked about this, but cannot come to any conclusion because we really do, truly, and intensely still love one another. I spend most of my life feeling single and lonely, which is ridiculous. I'm in a relationship. I'm tired of bringing this up, and neither of us manage to change things, but the thought of breaking up seems untenable. Can you help me unstick myself, or at least suggest new ways of tackling this repeated conversation? <sighs>
2: this one is so just sad. It just makes yeah, me so sad um, for both of them. Mm-hmm.
0: I do have one thought, which is uh, something that they do not seem to have discussed yet as an option, which is not to say that this will be the thing that fixes everything. Um, but they say, like, are there new ways of tackling this conversation? I think one is, has your partner considered moving to where you are? That was my first thought as well. Oh, two minds with but a single thought, two hearts. Yes. Beat is one. Because you're right.
2: It's nowhere in here. We don't know what the partner's living situation is like. I mean, it's very possible that that's just not feasible for whatever reason. They might have a job. They might have other family in the same area, whatever. But it is something to consider and would presumably make things better considering that seems like the only option you guys can agree would make things better is living in the same place again. Um, Yeah. And since the letter writer does not want to move back, which is a totally legitimate thing to think um, and to say, then that could be another option.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, because, again, I don't know, maybe these like health problems would be such that moving would be incredibly difficult for the partner. Um, There's there's any number of factors that might make it. Lord knows I relate to that. Right. But but I do think, you know, the key here is the sentence, I feel like my partner expects me to move back to my home city and is waiting it out, but I am increasingly sure I won't move back. We've sort of talked about this, mm-hmm. but can't come to any conclusion because we really love each other. Um, and that suggests to me that you guys haven't really talked about it. You've maybe both, both kind of lobbed impressions at one another and then kind of gotten scared because it's like, oh, if we really acknowledge this, we might feel like we have to break up. And I love them. So let's let's walk it back. Yep. That was exactly
2: the impression I got, especially considering the strength of the language used elsewhere about other conversations they've had. Like, the letter writer says, it's something we've had serious talks about in terms of the communication levels repeatedly. We've both committed to doing better. So, like, they use really strong verbiage elsewhere. um, But when we get to that part about moving, it's we've sort of talked about it and can't come to a conclusion. So that part feels a little bit like you said, a little walking it back.
0: Which I get because yeah. there's a profound fear here. Like they're very, very in love um, and they really want to stay together. Yep.
2: And they've been together for five and a half years and have been apart for the past three. So, you know, it's, they've done the long distance thing and it just sounds like it's just, it's become more and more difficult to maintain. Yeah. And now it feels like it's at a breaking point.
0: Yeah. So I do think, again, you know, The possibility of your partner moving out to be with you. But but mostly, I think the next thing in front of you is having that conversation of, hey, and, and, you know, preface it with like, here's what I'm really scared about. Like, I'm scared to discuss this because I I don't know what's going to happen if we talk honestly about this. um, And I'm really afraid to lose this relationship. Like, acknowledge the fear before you start talking, because otherwise it'll just be at the back of your mind looming over everything else and say... I think I've gotten the impression from you, whenever we've talked about the future, um, that you think I will move back after I graduate. Um, And that makes me really anxious because I don't want to. Um, I don't want to break up. I want to be with you. But I also really don't want to move back to my hometown. I think the other
2: line that really stuck out to me here was, I spend my life feeling single and lonely, which is ridiculous. Like, that's just devastating to me to be in such a loving long-term relationship, but the circumstances of your your distance between each other, your lack of communication, and the reasons behind it, which are not easy to overcome clearly, is you end up feeling single and lonely even though you're in this committed relationship. So clearly something's got to give.
0: Right. So, you know, you look at what are the things that you kind of can't change. One of them, it sounds like, is how much you guys communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've talked about it. You've both tried. Um, it, it doesn't sound like it's happening as a result of indifference or getting distracted. It sounds like there's just some physical limitations that really can't budge.
2: Yep. The logistics of it don't sound like they're going to change anytime soon. And I think, yeah, recognizing that, and which it sounds like the letter writer at least has um, has talked about how you know this happens. We've had this conversation a lot. It never changes. It's not because we don't want to. We just can't. So then, yeah, it's time to talk about, well, what comes after that? Like, what can we change then?
0: Right. And and so one of those things might be the possibility of your partner moving out to be with you, um, which, you know, frankly, like if they if they once they realize that you're not going to move back and, and that that would be kind of the only option, they might be like, oh, well, shoot, I'd be willing to do that. Or they might say, no, I'm absolutely not willing to do it. Um, and you guys would at least have enough information to make a decision um, yeah. or you guys may decide to, you know, break up, which sounds horrible and awful. But you also say that you feel single and lonely a lot of the time, um, which is painful in itself. And, I, you know, I don't want another five years of this for you. Um, yeah, and I don't think you would want another five years of this.
2: And I don't think your, I don't think your partner would want you to have another five years of this either. And I can't imagine that they're doing well with this situation either, from what you've said.
0: Yeah, I I think have that honest conversation where you really clarify what you're not willing to do um, and stress your commitment to your partner and and ask, you know, what other options do you think we have? And and if you get the chance, let us know how that conversation goes, because I'm really curious to hear what it's like if you don't sort of have it, but really have it. And good luck. You know, that's that's painful. I'm sorry. I wish there was something that I could say that would just fix it. I know. It's just painful all around, especially because so much of it is
2: like out of their control.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's always great when somebody's problem is like, you know, I'm trying to think of a great example and it's just not coming to me. But yeah, it's just something where it's like, oh, just do this one thing and your problem goes away. And it's like, yeah, just, you know, that's that's not the case here. Um, And it it's kind of, I think, throws into relief sometimes the limits of advice, which usually just boils down to something like be honest with yourself and be honest with somebody else. Right. Um,
2: which, yeah, much easier said than done, but. Sometimes it helps yeah. to have someone, you know, like you, like say, hey, here's what you should do. Talk, use your words, children, and it helps. So that's I don't great. Know. And
0: then like six months later, I realized, oh, I was talking to myself. I should do this. Yeah, <laughs> That's fantastic.
2: All right. Will you take our last letter? I will. This one's a doozy. Yeah. All right. Subject line, how to help a depressed slash anxious friend. Dear Prudence. My best friend of 20 years recently developed paralyzing anxiety followed by depression. She was always a bit of a warrior, but she also had three young kids, two dogs, and is a stay-at-home mom, so that worrying made sense to me. She's 40 years old and has no prior history of mental illness. Recently, her father, with whom she has a strained relationship, became ill. She agreed to become his power of attorney, and this is when it all went awry. I was able to direct her and provide many contacts and colleagues to walk her through the process, so he's now being cared for in a great home. Still, for whatever reason, this has sent my friend over the edge. This all happened around Christmas time, and since then she's been barraging me daily with anxious texts. She gets anxious over things that are meaningless to most, but they are always associated with her father. She will text me about how to address an envelope, how to send certified mail, how to sign a document, things she's done millions of times before. I will give her an answer, but then she'll question that answer, and this goes on for hours and days. She won't make decisions. If she feels she screws something up, she determines that means she's worthless. She's in counseling and on medication, but she continues to drink alcohol every day despite being told it can affect the medication. She's checked out of the kids' lives entirely, and her husband has had it up to here with her. I truly can't imagine how it must be to live with her in this state. I told her to resign and not help her dad, but she won't. I've been very good about answering all of her texts no matter what I'm doing, but it's starting to grow old and get irritating. I have a fiancé, and I work 60 hours a week. When I try to discuss my life with her, or even joke with her, there's no response. It's like she didn't even read that part or listen. She wants immediate responses when I'm working, and everything is an emergency to her. I'm at my wit's end here. I want to help her, but I don't know how much more abject panic I can take. Help.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, this sounds incredibly distressing. I, so I distressing. I feel for you both. Yeah. On lots of levels. It's hard for the kids. It's hard for your friend. It's
2: hard for you, you know. Yeah, there's nobody in this situation having a good time.
0: Yeah, no one's like, man, I'm getting away with all the best stuff. This is really working out for me. <laughs> no. Oh. Yeah, I had to, like, take
2: a breath after I read this one because I was like, gosh, that's a lot. That's just a lot for everybody to handle.
0: Yeah. What do you feel like is the best strategy for the
2: letter writer? I honestly can't decide. Like, Okay. So part of me wants to say that, I mean, the letter writers, your health and your mental well-being and your, like, Exhaustion levels or whatever those are worthy and important to consider too like you have to look after yourself self care is important um and if you know it sounds like you are sort of bearing the brunt of the support role here um it sounds like her husband has sort of abdicated that role a little bit um. And it doesn't sound – you don't mention anybody else in a support network really besides her therapist, um, which, you know, obviously should be the crux of her support network. But um, so, like, on one hand, I'm like, you know, I I get that that can be very overwhelming and it's okay if you have to set some boundaries. Um, and if this is, you know, sort of interfering with your own life and your own well-being, then that's something to consider. But at the same time – the phrasing of it's getting old and irritating, um I don't know that that makes me think that maybe maybe it's not an issue of boundaries and it's not an issue of like you, the letter writer, are unable to do the things that she's asking you to do to support her, um, which is essentially texting. And sometimes talking, um, which can – I don't mean to minimize that. thats a It sounds really intense and, like, the level of communication is extremely high and very focused on her and not on you at all, which is another component. Um, So, yeah, I honestly have – I don't know. I'm not sure what I would suggest. I think that it's great that you have been so supportive and so present for her when she needs you. Um, It sounds like not – I mean, I'm not a doctor. Let's clarify that real quick. Um but the fact that she is asking you things like how do I address an envelope? How do I sign a document? Um it sounds like she might be having some like executive dysfunction along with the depression and the anxiety which I have also experienced and it is very no fun. Um and that she just needs that sort of reassurance and like help getting things done even really simple things that seem like they should be absolutely no problem because she's done it a million times before. Everyone has done this a million times before. It's not hard. But sometimes your brain makes it hard because sometimes your brain is an asshole and it sounds like hers is being one. But yeah, I'm rambling because I don't know. Um, There's just so much here to consider. There's right the kids. I feel so, like, I feel for those kids immensely. Um, There's the fact that she is in counseling and on medication, which is wonderful. Like, I'm so glad – that she is getting some level of, like, help. But then she's still drinking every day, which sounds, you know, contraindicated with the medication. And so, but there's nothing you can do about that, really. So, I don't know. What do you think? I'm sorry. I'm talking a lot. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think I'm with you on a lot of this. I think one thing that I do think is important is that, um, again, as long as you're sort of behaving with a baseline level of, like, kindness and respect, it is okay, I think, to feel privately frustrated yes. or irritated with somebody else's behavior, even as you're aware that it's not necessarily something that's within a lot of their control. Um, oh, yeah. I would hope uh, I didn't suggest that it wasn't okay to feel that way. Yeah, or, or just that it's even okay to set limits before it's, like you know, my health is at stake. It's also just okay to set limits because you don't like something, even if somebody else is dealing with something that like you recognize is very difficult. Um, and, And so I think, you know, if she is texting you throughout the day, like when you were at work, um, and you already know that she has a lot of contacts and colleagues um, to walk her through the process and that her father is being really well cared for. So, you know, there's not an emergency, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if she's having a lot of anxiety about addressing an envelope in one afternoon. Um, as painful and difficult as it may be to know that your friend is suffering in that way. Um, it, it also seems like, you know, that texting with her for the next four hours that she does know how it's to do it help. is actually maybe not the most helpful thing you can do for her. Um, yeah. And that in those moments... It's actually really okay to say, I'm not available to talk about this with you. I encourage you to discuss it with, you know, X or Y point person. I love you. Let's talk later. Yeah. Um, and like and to set that limit. And if she follows that up with a lot of intense text messages, um, it's really hard, I think, sometimes with, you're with a friend who's dealing with something like this to figure, like— um, Am I being cold or harsh if I don't respond to somebody else's emotional levels? Um, and I think, you know, you as somebody who knows her pretty well will be a better judge of like, when is a genuine emergency? And when is um, when is it OK for me to say, like, I encourage you to talk to somebody else about this? I can't be available for this right now. Um, yep. but to also like set a time for either later in the day or later in the week for you to to connect. Um and, and it's also OK for you to say things like, hey, I'd love to catch up maybe like on a weekly basis, but I'm not going to be available to answer a lot of logistical questions. Um, that's yeah. OK for you to say, too. And it's also OK for you to say occasionally like, hey, we've been talking about this for a while. I'd really like to talk to you about how my life is going. Again, I know that a lot of this feels like big and I'm not suggesting you do it all in one day where you're just like, and I'm not going to answer these questions anymore. And now we're going to talk <laughs> about my stuff. And I just want you to get over all this. Like yeah, I don't no, want that's that that's not be... that's not recommended. Right. And I think you're aware this is probably not going to go away anytime soon. She's receiving... You know, help both like medically and therapeutically. And it's, you know, helping some, but it's not like, quote unquote, fixing the problem. Um, and she's also doing some self-medicating on alcohol that sounds like it's kind of um, contraindicating the medication that she's taking. Um, so these are just, I think, strategies that are going to help um, you figure out what aspects of your relationship you can be there for um, while this is going on and just not knowing when is this going to change? Will it change? um, Will things ever return to the previous status quo? Or will there just be a new um, way of interacting with your friend from now on? Because we just don't know that, right?
2: Yeah. I also feel like that it's very possible that your friend just maybe doesn't even realize what she's doing. Um, Like, particularly in the ignoring or not responding when you're talking about yourself. Um, I say that as someone who has been that person and not realized that I have done that. Um, If I get like really in my head and it's helpful for me personally, when my friends say, Hey, let's talk about this other thing that like is important to me, Um, which makes me sound like a really terrible friend. I promise I'm not. But um, so I don't know. I think that, yeah, I agree with everything you just said and, I think it could be worthwhile to even just point out gently, like, hey, so like explicitly, like we haven't talked about like my stuff lately. Can I share something that's really exciting or like something that I, you know, think you would be interested in or whatever, um, just to sort of get that, that that component of the relationship back into the foreground a little bit, um, especially with mental health stuff. It's so easy for – those little seemingly little like day to day things to get lost, like the good stuff. And I don't know, I think that that could be really helpful. Again, I mean, I don't know your friend, but that could be something.
0: Yeah. And I think to balance the compassion that you feel for your friend um, uh, with appropriate limits, because I feel like right now what you're setting yourself up for is eventual ghosting or blowing up at her. Neither of which are going to be helpful, right? Where in your mind, you, you confuse compassion with doing everything your friend wants on her terms, on her timeline. And then eventually when that stops working. Right. Which is what I meant with like, yeah, self-care. Like you have to make right. sure that you are also taken
2: care of in the ways that you need because, you know, it's the whole airplane oxygen mask thing, right? Like right. you can't help if you're drowning as well.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's not necessarily helpful to do all of those things. So I think instead of doing that to say things like, I cannot give you an immediate response on this, um, and this is not an emergency. I mean, maybe don't say this is not an emergency. That may not be helpful. But just go with, like, I can't talk about this with you right now. I'm at work. And that yeah. might feel like, oh, how could I possibly say that? She might get really upset. Um. And she might, and she also might not, like, it, it also might not be the emergency that you think it's going to be if you say, like, this is actually not an emergency. And then really do that. Really don't check your phone. Really get back to work. Um, yeah. because you know, um, she does have other resources in her life. Um, and she will be able to turn to them. Um, if you are not available to text her about these things at like three in the afternoon. Um, yeah.
2: And I also think that there's a difference too. And this is, you know, just probably important for the letter writer to keep in mind to feel better about like these boundaries is there's a difference between invalidating your friend's feelings and your friend's anxiety and your friend's like state and saying i can't do that like there's a difference between saying you're being unreasonable and i just can't like those are two separate things um and i think that's why i got a little hung up on the irritating word like that reads to me like your feelings are invalid, which I know is not what the letter writer is saying at all. Like they're clearly very, very loving and compassionate and caring. Um, But yeah, so like that's sort of just a way to sort of approach how you frame your responses um, to just make it as neutral, like value neutral as possible. Right.
0: Yeah. Cause you're not like, I, I don't want you to say to her, like this is dumb and not a real emergency and you need to just like calm down about it. Cause that's not helpful. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, a, a super not cool thing to say to somebody who's dealing with, like, rampant depression and anxiety. Um, but it is okay for you to say, you know... I I can't help you with this right now. You know, I love you. We'll talk later, but you need to call your doctor or your therapist or somebody else. Um, Because one of those is saying like, this is not a real problem and you shouldn't feel this way. And the other one is just truthfully acknowledging your own limits without making any sort of judgment call about whether or not your friend is right to feel the way that she feels. Yep. That's, I think, the key point there. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I... I'm sure your friend is not like, man, I really get a lot out of stressing out about these things. Like, I I don't think that she's doing this because, um, like, she she doesn't want to have these emergencies, I think, any more than you do.
2: Yeah. And I can almost guarantee you that she does not want to negatively affect you or your life in any way. And probably, I mean, this is pure speculation, one million percent, but... I would wager there's a strong chance that she feels terrible every time she has to ask you something like I nobody likes being that person like nobody wants to be that friend who like constantly needs help and constantly needs validation and needs like assistance but it's also totally legitimate like we've said to recognize that you can't always be that person someone else needs to be that person sometimes too.
0: Yeah. And it's hard, right? Like, you know, you're also aware that there's ways in which she's like not able to to parent the way that she used to right now and that it's really hard on her husband and that there's some concern about her drinking. And like those are all pretty big things, too. And I think you might be able to devote a little bit more uh, time or energy to figuring out whether or not you can do anything helpful there when you're not dealing with the sort of, like, daily triage of answering all these text messages. And again, like, I know she's your best friend of many, many years. Those are also not necessarily problems that you have to fix for her. But, like, of course, for a very dear friend you've known for decades, of course it's going to trouble you when you realize that this is affecting her ability to parent. Like, that's uh, that's just a given.
2: That's just, yeah, it's just so difficult all around. Like, it's difficult to be the person watching this happen without any real, like, feeling like you don't have any real way to help And it's difficult to be that person who's like, you know, not doing well and wants to be doing better. And yeah, it's just, yeah, nobody's having fun. But I fully believe that you both can, you can do this. Like you can love that person. You can love your friend and you can take care of yourself at the same time. Um, I think that those are completely compatible things, even in a difficult situation like this.
0: So I know we've already gone a little bit over, but I really want to play this voicemail.
1: Okay, let's do it. Uh, Dear Prudence, a few months ago, I was walking out of a bar hand in hand with my boyfriend. As we were headed towards our lift, uh, we passed a couple of guys on the street, walking in the opposite direction, and one of them sort of stopped my boyfriend, kind of held his hand up to his chest and said, dude, you're handsome. What are you doing with her? And it stung uh really hard. I got in the lift and kind of started awkwardly crying along with the driver because my boyfriend said he wanted to go back and quote unquote talk to the guy. Uh he eventually came back to my relief because the lift driver obviously wanted to go, uh saying that he was unable to find him in the crowd. Um he could tell how upset I was and he tried everything to reassure me. Uh, but it still really hurt. So like I said, it's been a few months now and this incident is still something that I think about. Uh, it's, it's not like it's on my mind all the time, but as, as soon as I start to feel insecure, it's a memory that it takes over, uh, in a way that I really don't want it to. I've always had, I've always felt insecure, um, about my looks and at times have <laughs> agreed with this random stranger and kind of felt like my boyfriend might be more attractive than me but of course never thought that was a reason he shouldn't be with me. Um, but either way, I took it as kind of objective evidence, um, just an outsider's perspective, looking in, um, and that that really hurts. And what I hate about all of this most is that despite my knowing better, um, I'm still letting it get to me. Um, I feel like I've been really diligent about the ways that I self-reflect um, as a feminist, always trying to striving to avoid um, reducing myself to my physical qualities um, despite constant cues that I should do just that. So I also know that being hurt by this gives his words power, and I really don't like that. Um, I know he was just a douchey guy at a bar. I know that my boyfriend doesn't see me as less than, so why can't I let it go?
0: So this is like the nightmare, right? Oh, my God. Like, that you're literally girl. just going down the street and a stranger says something to you that you've often worried privately about yourself. And you're just like, OK, yep. great.
2: Oh, I just I again, another person I want to just give a giant hug to. Like,
0: yeah, Uh there is a guy not far from this studio who hangs out a lot outside of uh, some of the coffee shops uh in Berkeley near. uh uh, near campus and he often likes to say stuff to strangers as they pass by Oh um, God. and he sometimes likes to say stuff to me and sometimes he doesn't like it's just infrequently enough that uh I, like my heart rate like triples every time I walk past him Ugh. um and I'm just always like just like play it cool play it super cool um and one of the first times that I ever wore men's shoes, I had been shopping with a friend of mine in the city and I found this really like great pair of Oxfords that I liked a lot. And they were like a tiny bit too big, but not noticeably. It wasn't like clown shoes. I wasn't like slipping around in them. They were just a tiny bit too big. And I was like, whatever, I'll get little like um, insoles or whatever, like to, to make them Yeah, look like better. inserts or something? Yeah. And I have since bought better fitting shoes, but I like really liked them. And then I was like walking and I like he hadn't said anything to me the last couple of times I'd seen him, so I was feeling kind of relaxed, like maybe he's he's cool now. And as I walked past him to record this show, this was like a year year and a bit ago. Um, he like very quietly whispered as I walked past, like you know those shoes are too big for you. Oh and I my was god! Just like oh my god! And he whispered <sighs> it was such which is such a power move. And I was just like, yes. oh he. Whoo, he gets it better than ever. like he knows what those shoes represent. He knows mm-hmm. this is new for me. He knows that I don't have years of experience buying this kind of shoes and he knows I'm a fraud.
2: No. Um, like I don't condone violence of any kind, really, but like if I lived in Berkeley, I could
0: accidentally,
2: you know, hit some toes. That's all I'm saying.
0: No. Like, no. No. Happen. Look, this man is out here speaking wicked truth to me. And, uh, you know, obviously he and I are going to play some sort of, you know, important thematic role in one another's lives before the final conflagration comes down on all of us. And I can't, you know, I can't preemptively push him off of the play. You know, he's I have we missed need him. you. Yeah. So this is, again, like just to reassure you, letter writer, this is horrible. Like the fact that you are still yeah. thinking about this a couple of months on. Um, is incredibly understandable to me. Yes. Like, I still think about this guy and the shoes, and that was well over a year ago. Um, in part because I think we tend to assume that the worst things about us that anyone says are the truest, right? Yeah. Like, you know, everyone else I can't really trust because they care about me and they're probably sugarcoating things. But if somebody I don't know or who doesn't wish me well says something designed to hurt me, it can't be for any reasons about like where they're coming from or a desire to hurt me. It's got to just be they're so committed to truth uh, that they had to say this. Um, Whereas I'm willing to bet, you know, caller, if you were walking down the street and this same guy like put a hand in your boyfriend's chest and said something about the electoral college um, <laughs> or like where to find the best fish in your town, you wouldn't necessarily be like, ah, the voice of wisdom. <laughs> like you would not or like, here's how you should talk to your parents. Like you you would maybe listen to him, but you wouldn't necessarily think like, oh, this guy's got it. This guy knows what's up.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you the caller even specifically said something about like objectivity like this is somebody objective looking in from the outside with a clear view of the situation and like that's not no that's not how that works and I know you know that that's not how that works but that voice in your head saying that oh no this is this is one million percent true like the truth the only truth is it's so hard like it's so hard to not to not listen to it to not let it play over and over again like Lord knows – I mean, I have essentially made a career so far on writing about all the horrible things that people have said and that I think about myself and, like, working through that. Like, every one of my essays just about is me processing that, um, particularly in terms of, like, my looks and the way people view my body and the way I view my body in response. So I don't think there's anything, like, wrong or unfeminist about feeling that way, about just, like, having those feelings. They suck – And I hate it for you, and I don't want you to have them, but I also don't want you to be too hard on yourself for having them. Like, that's not, that doesn't make you a bad person or a bad feminist or like you're giving some guy power. Like, it's just, it's one of those things. Like, feel your feelings is my unhelpful advice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and just in those moments when you're tempted to think, like, this guy held the truth. Everyone else is trying to be nice to me, but this guy was the one person who was really willing to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Just think, like, this guy was stumbling down the street. He threw his hand up in a stranger's chest and said, hey, dude, you're handsome. What are you doing with her? Mm -hmm. Like, is that objective behavior? Is that the act of a bold truth teller? Do you know what I mean? Like, this guy's not, like... Samuel Pepys walking out of a coffee shop having just learned of the latest news from Vienna, you know, straightening his quizzing glass and striding forth into the Enlightenment or whatever. Like, yep. this is the behavior of a cruel and drunken boor who's attempting to stir shit and start a fight. Um, yep. Who's... Randomly accosting strangers. Like, nothing about this guy's behavior suggests to me that it was born out of calm and reasoned objectivity. Yeah, Um, the furthest thing from that. Like, patently and on its face misogynist. Um, yep. The fact that he was addressing your boyfriend about your appearance, again, like, it just makes it really clear, like, where was he coming from? He wanted to hurt a woman. Um, and mm-hmm. he wanted to make it clear that he did not think you were worth addressing. He wanted to address you through the man you were with. Like, yep. this dude's not objective. Uh, he's 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 very aware way. that, like, a really easy, sexist way to take a shot at a woman is to talk about and to denigrate her looks. Um And by the way, too, you don't say that this guy was like a young Apollo. Um, Not that that would have made it okay, But again, it's just like another point in the category of like maybe not. Maybe he is not like Paris judging the three goddesses on who will get the golden apple of discord. Do you know what I mean? Like he he might not be the best judge of. All of which is besides the point, right? Like whether or not he was super babely or, or not at all comely um, is not the point. I just I, I hope you can let go of this mental image that you have in your mind, which must be the, the, the gap between our respective attractivenesses must be so profound that a mere stranger walking down the street was so struck by it that he was moved to speech rather yeah. than a drunk, sexist, misogynist asshole Wanted to hurt a woman and decided to hurt me because yep. that's what and happened. probably for no
2: other reason than the fact that you were there like it yeah. probably would have just been I mean it, I know it would have just been whoever was nearest when that impulse struck was going to be the
0: target. Yeah. Again, I think there's that fear of like, man, if he had walked past a couple that he thought were really appropriately matched, he would have stopped them and said, hey, good job. You're both the same (laughs) level of attractive. No, this guy's not an objective truth teller. He's a sexist asshole. And he wanted to hurt a woman. And he would have found something to say that was hurtful and cruel um, in that moment, regardless of who was walking past him.
2: But I do just also want to like recognize again that I feel like the caller like te- like knows that, but it's just so different. I mean, not that it's not worth repeating emphatically from us as well, because it helps to hear it from somebody else as well. Um, but I think the, the fact that it's still hurtful and that it was hurtful in the moment and that it is now, even though you know, like on an intellectual level, that this is not something, like all the things that we've been saying, even though you know that it's really hard to also feel it and believe it um and that's okay i think like i think that this shit takes a lot to work through <laughs> like it takes a lifetime of unlearning and of like learning something else in its place and that's not going to happen overnight and that's okay and it sucks again and i th- i hope it helps to hear it from us like that your impulse about him not being you know Super reliable as a narrator um is a good one, but that it's also okay to not fully believe it yet,
0: yep and to just say, don't beat yourself up for the fact that this yeah. periodically comes up like yeah don't don't be hard on yourself for having feelings, um, just in those moments when you remember it or you think about it again, just kind of say to yourself as neutrally as possible, "I'm feeling sad." because a stranger hurt my feelings. And that's okay. Um, yep. and, and let that moment ride itself out. Like, just let yourself feel it all the way through. Um, don't try to say, I should be tougher than this. I should be over this by now. Just let yourself feel the feeling. Eventually, it will burn itself out. You know, eventually there is a limit to how sad or guilty or self-loathing you can feel. And it will, you know, it will finish. The feeling will be done. Um, yeah. And you will have seen it, you know, start and peak and 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 exit um, and you will realize afterwards, like, oh, I'm still here. That feeling came and eventually went away, and I was here this whole time. Um, and I can't rush it off the premises by trying to shoo it away. Um and then it went to, when it does come up, I'll just remind myself, I'm feeling really sad because somebody really was trying to hurt my feelings. And it's awful to think that a stranger walking down the street would want to hurt me like that. Um, but again, to just remember, like, I, I don't think you would take that guy's opinion if he, like, walked down and immediately was like, invest in hog futures. You wouldn't be like, thank you, objective stranger. Like, he's just not somebody who I think has displayed good judgment or good instincts or good people skills. I I, I don't think you need to ascribe to him um, expertise.
2: Yeah, no. And I also think it's probably like if he were somebody who saw a, like, picture of you online and said this, like, I, I feel like you probably wouldn't remember it as clearly because it didn't happen in person like there's that physicality i think adds to the issue like adds to the the hurt um yeah the aggressiveness of that that cruelty like the aggressiveness yeah and like the the invasion and the violation of like being in a physical space with that person when they do this and when they say this versus like if he were just some guy on the internet like anonymously adding you on twitter like you would you wouldn't care like he probably would be like okay cool muted or blocked whatever i'm done um So I don't know if that helps to consider that in a different context, how it would have affected you or not. Um, But there's that as well. I think that it's important to remember that, like, yeah, a physical space is going to have a different uh, response from you than maybe it would elsewhere. And that he said it to your boyfriend. I know. I can't get over that.
0: That's horrible. And the implication there is that, like, your looks are a reflection on him, that your boyfriend deserves a certain level of attractiveness that is somehow universally agreed upon and that he has merited by virtue of his own appearance um, and that he needs to do something about it. I mean, that's horrible. Everything about this is just like... It's just the worst.
2: Just awful. Yeah. um, Like, again, not into super, not super into, like, violence, but I do own and drive a 300 pound wheelchair every day so like i'm inclined to use it creatively if i were to ever meet this guy
0: i cannot condone this behavior i know um, but I, I certainly can wish that this dude would someday wake up and realize what he did with the full weight of the human <laughs> conscious conscience and then just be a really, better like, person than i that. that's not true um, I feel
2: like I feel like what we're learning here is that you should not have invited me onto this show. <laughs> You're doing fabulous. Uh,
0: this, yeah, this guy, yeah, I, I get that this one's going to sting. This is just going to be something that you can't, you can't pull this one out of where it's embedded in your mind. Um, yeah, I, like don't feel bad that this is staying with you. This would stay with me too. Um, yeah, but I don't think that this guy was just so objectively moved by your appearance that he had to say what he said. I think he was cruel and drunk and boorish and sexist and wanted to hurt you and just went for like what you know what's the easiest way to hurt a woman in a like sexist misogynist society is go for her appearance like it was not creative or nuanced or based on like observation like it's just the thing sexists go for and I'm glad by the way that your boyfriend like tried to find the guy checked in on you um That his response was not just like, Oh, what are you going to do like i I'm really glad that he yeah. was um, neither overreacting and like trying to throw the guy into a river nor underreacting and being like, Don't worry about it. It's fine. like I'm glad that he was there for you um, and i'm I'm glad that you're um, kind of thinking about how you can be kinder to yourself in the aftermath of this agreed. And I just hope he gets a paper cut on the webbing in between all of his fingers every day for the rest of his life.
2: See, we're on the same level
0: again now. Yeah, yeah, I like there's this. that. <laughs> there's that uh, violent impulse. Well, <laughs> Kayla, thank you so much for coming on this show. Thank you for bringing me on. It was so much fun. Did you, did you learn anything? Did you reach any sudden epiphanies? Do you think that anything uh, is going to change about your life?
2: I mean, I definitely learned some new information about the 80s economic situation. Um, Right. So that was cool. And, okay, to be real, though, like, what you said about feeling like we have to suffer in order to deserve whatever, like, I was not kidding when I said that really hit me really, really hard. And is something that I've been dealing with a lot lately personally. So like, thank you for saying that because it did, it did affect me. So there's that.
0: I hope it affects you in a way that is eventually helpful. Um, Oh, it was (laughs) extremely helpful. I'm sure. Good. Good. Thanks, Kayla. Get out of here. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton.